turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And surprise. <laughs> I'm not going to get as many verses done today as I would have wanted. Um, so if you're uh, if you're uh, keeping score at home, and I know you are, uh, we're going to read verses 12 to 15. And our title of our sermon this morning is God's Work in Old Clay Pots Part 2. through 2 Corinthians. We're doing a slow crawl through 2 Corinthians. Uh, but we're getting there, and I believe you're enjoying it. I know that I, I feel like that in a way this is uh, um, maybe it's better for me than you, but I hope not. I hope it's as good for you as we are walking to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians being just a sort of a biography of the Apostle Paul, or an autobiography of the Apostle Paul and his, his life, his um, uh, the challenges he faced. Um, the convictions he had and uh, I hope that what this is doing to you as we go week by week here is you're just loving the Apostle Paul more and more each week because I know I am he is uh, he's my hero so there we go let's look at verses uh, 12 through 15 so death is his work in us life in you since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Amen. May God write his eternal word upon our hearts. We have um, been preaching through this section in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. Uh, Paul, this section did here, Paul has been defending his ministry against all kinds of wild accusations made by his enemies who had arrived in Corinth. They are pushing a false gospel to the Corinthians. Um, they would have these Gentile Corinthians Work to keep the law of Moses in addition to their faith in Jesus Christ. They were slandering the Apostle Paul and questioning his legitimacy as an apostle. They accused him of lying, of dishonesty, of secretly uh, gaining monetarily from his mission work, among other awful accusations that came against him. Uh, they, um, he, and everything that they accused the Apostle Paul, he answers back except for this one accusation. <laughs> they called into question, this is what he didn't, he didn't, he didn't argue against this. They called into question how God could be with someone so persecuted, so rejected, so physically offending and unimposing, so unimpressive in his oratory skills, and someone so consumed with one thing, which was preaching the cross, which was so offensive to so many people, they wondered how in the world could God be with someone so weak? And this accusation of weakness was one Paul could not disagree with. Not only does he agree with their assessment, he embraces it. In chapter 4, verse 7, he says, We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. 
In other words, he is weak and God uses weak people so that it might be plainly obvious that the success for his ministry belongs to God alone. And Paul essentially asks the question, if God has rejected me and if I'm so weak, then how do you explain the success of my ministry? And everywhere that Paul went, thriving churches, vibrant churches were established for the glory of God. And if his weakness was a sign of a problem with his ministry because who follows weak men, then how do you explain the success and the power of Paul's ministry any other way than the fact that God was with him? And that led us last week to talk about the reason for Paul's power and success in ministry. Here he is, he's weak, he's a nobody, and yet he's powerful and successful in his ministry. Why was that? We were able to gain a few things from the text. One of the reasons for the power of, uh, for Paul in his ministry was his humility. Uh, he was his humility. His ministry was dynamic because of his humility. God worked through him to, in an awesome way because Paul wasn't afraid to give all of the success for his ministry to God, all the credit to it for God. Um, he understood his place in the great scheme of things. He really was just a nobody. He was, the, Paul described himself as the human equivalent of an old clay pot that is common, ordinary, and easily breakable. They are often simply used for taking out the garbage, but sometimes they are used for glorious things like housing great treasure. And Paul was under no illusion that he was anything other than an old clay pot fit for whatever it is that God decided to use for him. Secondly, we recognize that Paul had power because of his invincibility. Seems odd to group humility with invincibility. For Paul to claim to be invincible in a sense and also be humble might seem odd or a contradiction of sorts. But there's an important fact in that to understand that when God wills to do something through a minister or a person or anybody, nothing will stop that. Nothing will thwart it. Paul understood so long as that he was being used by God to preach the gospel and establish his church that there was nothing that anyone could do to stop him. So even though Paul was afflicted in life, he wasn't crushed. Even though he was perplexed, he wasn't driven to despair. Even though he was persecuted, he wasn't forsaken. And even though he was struck down, he wasn't destroyed. Why? Because God would see through him, God would see through see him through everything because of the purpose that he had placed upon Paul's life. And then thirdly, last week, we saw that Paul's power in ministry lie in the fact that he was sacrificial. Paul was willing to lay down his life and endure the afflictions that Jesus endured so that the life of Jesus might be brought to so many people. And that leads us now to our text today as we complete this section through verse 15. And here in verse 12, we see that the power of Paul's ministry also lies in the fact that he pursued fruitfulness in his ministry. So that's your fourth point on that. He pursued fruitfulness in his ministry. So he was humble. He was invincible. He was sacrificial. All for the reason to be fruitful in this world. Listen, Paul wasn't undergoing hardship and persecution and suffering so that he might obtain some kind of personal growth. You know, be a better person. Or, or anything. He did it in order to see the fruit of the gospel and in the salvation of pagan souls to Jesus Christ. You'll find out there's some people today and some of these new age gurus or some of these so-called enlightened people going up on mountains or in monasteries and separating themselves from society. They deprive themselves in order to be enlightened. And it's an excuse for seeking personal growth and not worrying about what other people 
about what's going on with other people. Christianity has fallen into these types of ideas at different times. In the medieval times, the Catholic Church, at the height, considered the height of spiritual experience as going off into a monastery to devote yourself to prayer and meditation. Ordinary working folk were seen as having an inferior spiritual life. You know, because if you really wanted to be spiritual, you'd go off some somewhere. Um, and so they deprived themselves in order to be uh, enlightened, uh, and they did those things. Uh, the, the reformers, though, they came along and they called that rubbish, saying that for people to fail to contribute to society was an, actually an act of utter selfishness. And indeed, the Bible con condemns asceticism or denying yourself as a pathway to be near to God. The Bible condemns that. So you can't hurt yourself or deprive yourself and get yourself closer to God. That's not the way things work. We're, we're never called to leave this world, are we? Jesus said for us to be in this world, just not be of it, didn't he? Paul didn't suffer so that he might personally be nearer to God. He was unconcerned for himself for the sake of God's elect being brought to saving faith. He saw himself as an expendable, just an old clay pot who was used to bring forth fruit for Jesus Christ. And this is why Paul was so convinced about what he was doing. He knew he just had to preach Christ or he would burst. He said, woe to me. If I don't preach the gospel, that's what he said. And he says this after he's been beaten and he's stoned and imprisoned. You know, for you know, if it's if it's not ready to just burst out of you, you can say, "Hey, I don't want any more of that. I think I'll go home now, enjoy my life." No, but he had to preach the gospel. Come what may to him, self-preservation's in our nature unless our minds override it. And Paul's mind did. He saw his life as expendable for God, and that's why ultimately he was so successful, why he was so powerful in ministry. It was a God-given success and power because he only worried about being obedient to preach and to serve people. For Paul to tend to those things and pour it out for Christ and to be broken as an old clay pot was a better than a life of ease spent out of the will of God. And I hope you and each and every one of you understand that today. And here Paul was willing to suffer for these Corinthian Christians. And they'd forgotten all that he'd poured out of himself to them over time. And they were being wooed by these false teachers who hadn't suffered in the least compared to what Paul had suffered for them. They were a people who were living because of the dying of Paul. And that's the frustrating part. They were forgetting that. And I want to tell you today that we're in danger of forgetting what it cost so many people who came before us. And if we're not careful, we'll follow after today's equivalent of false teachers that had invaded Corinth trying to convince people of an easier kind of Christianity that's more acceptable to you know people out there who don't know us and, uh, and palatable to the rest of the world. We're in danger of that. And that's why we need preachers and leaders in churches who are consumed with seeing fruitfulness. Not numbers, but fruitfulness. 
as a church, these are things that you want to demand from your leadership in the church. You know, you ought to be asking us uh, as, 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 as leaders in the church, the deacons and, and the pastor, what are we doing to advance the gospel in this world today? Make sure that I'm committed to preaching it. You check me and watch me. Make sure I'm preaching Christ and Him crucified. You, you want to ask, uh, uh, ask us what are we doing to support world missions? The transmission of the true gospel is what we must have. The church, the, the American church has been anemic. It's been satisfied with a watered-down gospel for far too long. We want to value the sacrifice of Paul and th that Paul and others have made. Not just Paul, but down through the years, people dying for the, for the faith, for the, for the fact that God is, 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 is three in one, people dying for it. For the fact that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and not with your works of any kind. People died for that. We can't depart from those things. We, we can't forget them, can we? We must remember those things. And we must be, as Paul was, uh, value the sacrifice that they made and, and be willing to suffer the loss of all, all things ourselves for the sake of fruitfulness in our own church. So the power of Paul's ministry is evident because he's humble, he's invincible, he's sacrificial, he pursues fruitfulness, and fifthly, because he's faithful. Look at verse 13 again. It says, Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed, and so I spoke, we also believe, and so we also speak. Paul here is quoting Psalm chapter 116, verse 10, where David had been in deadly peril, uh, but God had delivered him from death. David believed that God had done this for him, and so he spoke. And Paul sees himself in the same vein. What is it that Paul believes and then speaks? He believes the gospel. As we can see him follow up with verse 14, Paul states that he, he that raised Jesus will also raise us with Jesus. It's the word of the gospel that Paul believes and speaks. And he is faithful to that gospel. He will not depart from it no matter how popular or unpopular it happens to be. He will preach it whether men find it offensive or not. Paul was not a pragmatist when it comes to the preaching of the gospel. He would speak with conviction no matter what the consequence was and no matter how it would be received by people. It didn't even matter so much if anyone listened to him. It's just he had to preach. Your hope is for, your hope is for fruitfulness as we preach, as we examine a point before this. But ultimately what matters above all things is being obedience to the command to preach the gospel, whether that's in season or out of season, whether people are receiving it or they're not receiving it. Paul has already said in chapter 2 that God's word when preached has an effect on everyone that hears it. Everyone that hears it. It's like a fragrance that goes up to everyone that hears it. To some, it's the fragrance of life. To those that are believing in Jesus Christ, the gospel is like the fragrance of life that goes up to them. But to those that are rejecting Christ and rejecting his gospel, it's the stench of death. And Paul cannot help that part of it. That's the work of God in a given message. He will bring it to bear upon some people's souls and other people will be left in their sins. So many are taken with their own power in preaching 
or in sharing the gospel or in building a church or in convincing people of the truth. They will think that it lies within their power to bring someone to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. If I can say it the right way, if I can convince them the right way, if I can use the right illustration. And indeed, the gospel must be preached, but it cannot be altered. The gospel cannot be because you might think it might be better without all the rough edges on it. You know, When you think like that, you'll, 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 you'll be sanding down those rough edges so much so that pretty soon you don't have anything in your hands anymore. You have no gospel at all. And Paul was nothing like that in his preaching. He laid the truth on the line and in faithfulness he left it up to God to do the work of changing those that hear the message. When people complained about the offensiveness of the gospel, saying to Paul, you know, Paul, I think you could get a few more people if you wouldn't say it that way or if you would leave this, this out of it. What did Paul say? He said, I believe Therefore, I speak. In other words, he was a man of conviction. And may God give us men of conviction today who will stand tall in the pulpit and preach the whole counsel of God, whether it fills a church up or it empties it out. We need men who will say the truth no matter what. We need men who are convinced of the truth of the gospel deep down in their souls so they can't do anything else other than preach Christ and him crucified. And I'll tell you as a congregant or a church member out there that you need someone to be faithful to preach that gospel. You need that from your pastor and preachers more than you need a good children's program or a church or a good music ministry or good outreach programs. Isn't that what people go to church for? Let's see. I want to see how the music is in that church. Or I want to see, you know, if they got anything for my kids. No, you see, first see if a man will preach a gospel there, right? If you'll preach Jesus Christ and him crucified, that's what you go for. And I'll also tell you that I aim to do that to, for you as your, as your pastor. It's my goal to stand in this pulpit and boldly preach the truth of the gospel. And the day that I no longer do that, you have my permission to let me go. <laughs> so let's hold each other accountable on this issue. And sixthly, Paul's ministry was powerful because he was 100% convinced in the hope of Jesus Christ. He was 100% convinced in the hope of Jesus Christ. Verse 14 again says, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. He looked forward, Paul did, to the resurrection that awaited his body and the bodies of all those that believe in Jesus. For we will all experience a resurrection that is like this. And it is because Paul knew this, that he believed and he spoke. He was convinced of this truth. And look at verse 14 again, how Paul states that Jesus was raised. That's a past event, right? Then he speaks in the verse of a future resurrection with Jesus. See it there? So Jesus was raised, excuse me, and then we, he will raise us also with Jesus. So that's how sure our future resurrection is. As sure as Christ was raised from the dead in the past event, so shall it is so sure that, that we shall also be raised in a future event. Paul's convinced of it. He knows it. We will be raised with Jesus and presented to God to be, to be present at the judgment seat of Christ. And by the way, that's the impetus for the preaching of Paul, that people will stand at the judgment seat of Christ. So you got to preach, isn't it? 
You know, we think about people and we think, oh, I should share Christ with them. I don't know. It could be a conflict and all this other stuff. They are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ one day and give an account for themselves. And if there's no one to be a mediator for man, he will have to stand in his own sins before the great and awesome God of heaven. And it's a fearsome thing, isn't it? It's a terrible thing to think about. And so Paul believes this and he speaks it. All of human history is careening down the sands of time to this great and terrible day of judgment. And Paul knows that men must be ready for it. And the question for you today is, are you ready for it? Are you ready for the judgment, the great judgment day to give an account uh, for your sins before but, uh towards the almighty God of heaven, if you're going to stand as your own defense and as your own lawyer or mediator, I can tell you that's going to be nothing but a tragedy for you. Have you ever, have you ever heard that, that thing, a, 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 how's, the, how's the saying go of a man that has, uh, that has himself as a lawyer, has a, has, a, has a fool for an attorney, right? Yeah, has a fool for a client. There we go. Yep, has a fool for a client. Thank you for that. Yeah, you don't want to, you don't want to be your own lawyer, before the judgment seat of God, do you? You need a mediator. Uh, you have sinned grievously and repeatedly against the God of great God of heaven. But if you have for yourself Jesus Christ as your mediator or your lawyer, you will be exonerated of all your crimes against him. Jesus Christ will stand on your behalf as your mediator and he will present the defense that your sins have been washed away by the precious blood of, of the lamb. There will be no record of your crimes and the fine that was yours to be paid will have been paid by Jesus Christ and you will be resurrected on that day to life. Paul was sure of this. He was convinced of this and so he spoke. And because Paul had this hope of resurrection, because he was convinced of it, he could endure all things for the sake of preaching Christ. He could endure suffering and persecutions and rejection. He could even endure having his life taken from him because he already knew that it was far better for him to go and be with Christ and to remain in the body. His attitude was that death will indeed come to him one way or another, but there's nothing to fear. For when death comes, he will be changed in such a way that we shall be like Christ. Paul had no problem giving his body to be burned for the sake of Jesus Christ because he had laid hold of the great reward that God was giving him through Christ. He had laid up treasures for himself in heaven rather than here on earth. One of my favorite things that Paul says is when uh, he was warned, he said, you know, Paul, you go there, you'll be opposed, you'll be, you'll be persecuted, you'll be in prison. What did Paul say there? He said, none of these things move me. That's what he said. I'm not worried about it. I have, a, I, have, I have the prime directive from God, which is to go and preach the gospel, and that's what I'm going to do. And we can risk everything for the sake of Jesus because God is in control and because of the promise that he made to, be raised, to raise us up with Jesus Christ. That's what we have. Let us not be fearful. Let us go to the Lord. Finally, Paul's power in ministry is because his main goal was the worship of God. That was his main goal. He wanted worshipers. He wanted, he wanted the great plan. Of, that's God's whole thing is getting worshipers. And Paul had his eye fixed on it. Look at verse 15 again. It says, therefore, it is all for your sake so that his grace extends to more and more people. It may increase the thanksgiving, increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. It was never about Paul. We've said that over and over again, but here you have it. Once again, it was so that there would be men and women who were once steeped in pagan idolatry and in great darkness, who would come to know and worship the one true God, come to know Jesus Christ. That's what Paul did this for. 
You just think of all the horrible pagan practices and idolatry that the Roman people had a deep history of. And marvelously, God was calling them out of that for the purpose of worshiping him. Paul did all this so God might be worshiped. It was for his glory. And in the salvation of pagan after pagan, Paul is heaping up things to be thankful uh, for the glory of God. Grace overflows to the thanksgiving of a growing number of people giving glory to God. And so there's this vertical relationship between God and his people. God sends out grace from on high, uh, the blessings of grace to his people through the preaching of the word and, and through the suffering of Paul. And as they're converted, their thanksgiving goes up to God. Grace comes down and thanksgiving goes up. And that's the worship cycle. And we ought to know God is all about gathering worshipers. That's his whole point in gathering a people for himself. He's gathering worshipers. And they are ultimately a great, num a great minority in a world that rejects him and hates him. But they will sing forth praises to him without fail. And they will do so for his great honor and glory. And so that's how we in this section. There's great power in the ministry of Paul and the ministry of anyone else who follows in these footsteps of humility, invincibility, sacrificial giving of the self, pursuit of fruitfulness, faithfulness, conviction of the blessed hope of resurrection and the goal of worship. And church, here is Paul's life laid out for you. What greater life to imitate? He says in another place to imitate him insofar as he imitates Christ. As sometimes we'll say, oh, we don't want to imitate men. You want to imitate Christ. Well, you want to imitate men who are imitating Christ. That's what you want to do. Paul said, follow me. He says, imitate me. And uh, that's who we want to imitate. Let's have his conviction. Let's have his passion for the truth. Let's have his commitment to God's glory. That's what we want to have. There's power in that even when the world hates us. Let's take a moment and pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for the, for the life of the Apostle Paul. We thank you, God, for your word, which shows us, uh, Lord, um, the key to power in ministry, Lord. And I pray, Father, that our church will model these things. This is the church we want to be. We don't want to, to give in to the culture. We don't want to be pragmatists saying, oh, let's see what works so that we might fill up the church. Lord, with great conviction, we want to preach Christ and him crucified. We want to cling to your word. We want to glorify you in everything that we do. We want to be humble in all things, Lord. We want to know that we're invincible, God, till you call us home. We want to know, Lord, that we need to be sacrificial and pursue, Lord, fruitfulness and faithfulness and, and all that goes along with that, Lord. Give us strength to do these things. This is the church we need to be. We need to be the church that follows in the footsteps of the apostle Paul. Help us to do that, Lord. Grant us this, God. Give us the energy to do it and the strength to do it. Uh, Lord, uh, give our wills over for this. And, and, and Lord, may we just be consumed, God, with, uh, with, with serving Jesus Christ and preaching his name. All of this we pray in Christ's precious and holy name. And amen. We have in him an invitation this morning. It's hymn number 323, Come You Sinners Poor and Needy. Uh, if you would stand and sing that hymn with you, if God calls you to a lively hope and a salvation in Jesus Christ, you come down here and I'll pray with you as we stand and sing.